Hello and welcome back to another week of the Korean Beauty Show podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Lee, K-beauty expert, founder of Style Story, your online go-to where you can shop, learn and explore the world of Korean skincare and of course your guide to what is going on in the world of K-beauty coming to you live from Seoul, South Korea. So welcome back, everybody. I hope you had a a really great weekend. I am feeling super relaxed after my weekend because I've mentioned a few times on the show lately that this kind of weather, as it starts to cool down a little bit and we move into autumn, is my absolute favorite. So I love to get out and about on the weekends at this time of year, uh, particularly because in Seoul, increasingly, we have fewer and fewer variances in Uh, the extremes of the year. So what we're finding is basically autumn weather is kind of disappearing. Spring weather is kind of disappearing. And so we have one really long cold period where at certain times of the year, it can be a little bit just uncomfortable to get out and about and be outside. It's quite cold. But then conversely, in summer, it's really, really uncomfortable to be outside for most of the day, like pretty much after about 10.30, all the way up till about 3.30. In the middle of summer, it's just disgusting. Like you just, it's sticky, it's sweaty, your clothes stick to you, you feel really gross. So anytime the weather sort of eases up a little bit, I'm like, right, everybody, we're leaving, we're out the house. So that is the kind of weekend I had. So I'm feeling very, very relaxed after my weekend. And I hope that you guys are too. But let us jump over into the news headlines. So the first thing was that there is a little bit of confusion in Korea about what vegan actually means when it comes to skincare products. And I thought this was interesting for a couple of reasons. The first one being obviously vegan skincare is so big in Korea has been for the last couple of years that it's a little surprising maybe that people still don't know what it means, but also because this is a thing that I have seen over and over again. It's a question that I myself have been asked that we as a team get asked a lot at Style Story in relation to the difference between vegan and, for example, cruelty-free. So what this, uh, the article, the news headlines were talking about is that part of the reason it's so confusing here in Korea is that there are different sets of accreditation standards and there are different agencies that can certify products as vegan. And that's left people just a little bit confused as to what a particular company means when they're calling a product vegan. So obviously, by definition, vegan cosmetics should be products that do not use animal ingredients or byproducts. So some of the really common ones that you'll hear people talk about are things like honey and milk and beeswax. They're very common. Pearl is another one because pearl comes from uh, an oyster. So that's another one that can get people a little bit tripped up if they haven't really thought it through. Some of the particular ones that you will see in K-Beauty that you might not see elsewhere are things like, for example, badger oil, horse oil, uh, obviously snail mucin, snail secretion filtrate. That is the byproduct of a snail. It's not the snail itself, which I know can freak a couple of people out when they first hear about snail cream. They're like, I don't want to put 
crushed up snails on my face, but it's not that. It is the snail's byproduct, but it's still therefore by definition not vegan. So the other thing that makes people a little bit confused is that even though a product can be certified as vegan or cruelty-free, for example, here in Korea, what happens then when the product is exported to countries that do allow animal testing like China? So people are calling for a more clear and unambiguous standard as to what vegan actually means. So at present, the Korean Cosmetic Act, the Korean Cosmetics Act, which is the key piece of legislation that does regulate uh, cosmetics here in Korea, has rules and requirements for what can be labeled as a vegan product. And basically that is that it needs to be an internationally accepted or a reliable institution that's judging and certifying the cosmetics, which makes sense, right? Like they're not specifying that you have to go to one in particular, just that it be a reliable institution. So you can't like ask your next door neighbor, like, hey, can you certify this product for me? That's not good enough. You need to go to someone that is a credible organization. So some of the ones that you will see people going to ask for certification from are, for example, Eve Vegan in France. That's one of the big ones. The United Kingdom has one called the Vegan Society that offers a similar service. Uh, But then there are also ones in Korea. So there is a Seoul-based one called the Vegan Standard Certification Authority. And there's another one, a Korea-wide one, called the Korea Agency of Vegan Certification and Services. Bit of a mouthful, but they are all regarded generally as reliable. Uh, And this is not just a problem in Korea. I think that's why it sort of caught my eye a little bit, because a lot of countries have this same issue that there is no one definition of what it means to be vegan. So for example, in Australia, the way it would likely be regulated is that you're not allowed to lie about your product being vegan, obviously, and that would be policed by the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, and it would probably fall underneath the Australian Consumer Law, which is the law that regulates people making things like false and deceptive claims in marketing. So if you were saying that your product was vegan, vegan, but, you know, it's not. For example, it has uh, snail secretion filtrate in it, for example. That would pretty obviously be a breach of the law, and that's how it would be regulated, as opposed to requiring you needing certification from a particular body. Uh, And, you know, it's probably similar in the States. And I haven't checked it recently, but that is my understanding, is that there is no one body that sort of determines whether a product is vegan or not, but it would be regulated on the level of consumer claims and what you are actually telling your consumers, you're not allowed to lie to them, basically. So it is an unambiguous, it is a very ambiguous area of the law, and I can see why consumers are confused, but that was in the headlines in Korea this week. So that's basically the general overview of how uh, vegan cosmetics are regulated here. But there is a difference between being vegan and being cruelty-free. Cruelty-free just means that the product hasn't been tested on animals, which is not the same thing as saying that it doesn't contain any animals or byproducts. So that's the difference between those two. 
Now, the other thing in the headlines this week was that there was a piece in the Jungang Daily on how many steps are too many when it comes to Korean skincare uh, or skincare generally. And that caught my attention because I actually did uh, an interview with the Sydney Morning Herald a few weeks ago on the same thing. Uh, so I actually spoke to Erin uh, Cook, who was reporting for the Sydney Morning Herald about Kim Kardashian's new skincare line, SKKN. Uh, and, you know, talking about the fact that it has nine steps uh, and, you know, do we really need this many steps? And obviously K-Beauty being very famous for having a lot of different steps, we were sort of talking about that. Uh, And, you know, the fact that there is no 10-step skincare routine that people here follow, uh, but there are probably more steps in many Korean skincare routines than you would find, for example, in Australia. Like Kim Kardashian's routine even has two different oils in it, which would be unusual by Korean standards as well. Uh, So I was sort of talking through that and the trend towards skinimalism here in Korea, uh, which is basically a very pared-down skincare routine that that on purpose does not involve as many steps. Uh, So we were talking about that. And then I saw in the Jungang Daily that they have kind of done a piece that's quite similar to that, talking about Kim Kardashian's routine. And then they were going on to compare that to the local routine. So obviously the 10-step routine, they mentioned it's a symbolic term more than a literal one because, you know, no one is standing there counting out their, their different steps. But they actually took a look at some of the data. And at the moment, locals here in Korea are using an average of 5.37 skincare products in one routine plus sunscreen and cleanser. So really that's 7.37 skincare products, really, if you think about it. Uh, So that is two more products compared to the US average. The US average is 3.24. I'm not sure whether that is including sunscreen or cleanser, not sure. So potentially even more of a variation. Uh, But they were saying that, you know, 98.1% of Korean women say that they regularly access information about beauty. That was according to an open survey research. Uh, And Koreans actively use an average of three and a half channels for beauty information, whereas Americans apparently only use two. So Koreans use Instagram and YouTube. A lot of people, 80.3% and 76.6%. So that I thought was really, really interesting. Like Koreans have a voracious appetite for hearing, learning, using beauty. beauty products in general, but I think it's definitely obviously more of an approach to skincare rather than, you know, being able to nail Korean beauty down to a specific ingredient, specific technique or a specific product, because obviously there are just endless categories. It changes all the time. Uh, and what the Jungang Daily was saying is that, in fact, Skin Food actually had a campaign over 16 years ago referencing a 10-step skincare routine. So I thought that was really, really interesting. They also were reporting on the trend of skinimalism, talking about products that combine multiple uh, benefits in one. The one that they gave was Laneige's Cream Skin, which obviously has like an essence and a moisture cream inside it. Uh, we made our jelly 
Eco products like that on purpose as well. Our cleanser also doubles as an exfoliant. Uh, uh, that's a two-in-one product. And then our moisturizer can uh, be replaced for serum, oil, and moisturizer as well because we wanted to have products that did more with less. Just because, you know, there are some people that do love doing lots of different products, but there are also some times when you don't have time or you're going overseas or on a holiday or something like that and you need to pare it down. And having products that do more with less, you know, product is just obviously a good thing. So that was in the headlines this week, which I thought was really, really interesting. So obviously a lot of people are touching on Kim Kardashian's skincare line at the moment. The fact that she's come out with all of these steps and sort of comparing it and contrasting it to other routines out there you know, in the ether, as it were. So there you go. That's what people were talking about this week. Uh, Now, on to our question of the week. And this was actually one that we got asked on TikTok, and I thought it was interesting. So I thought I would run through it with you guys. And the question was, how much does it cost to start a skincare brand in Korea? Obviously a really great question and unfortunately the answer is probably just a little bit boring because it's really a question back which is how long is a piece of string like there are just so many variable factors that would go into what it would cost first and foremost being what do you want to make uh, it really depends like if you were to come out with your own line of sheet masks for example you would have very different uh, prices and minimum order quantities involved than if you wanted to make I don't know for example a serum or something like that and that's because when they're making sheet masks the technology that they use to do that they only do really big runs of them so you're making like 20,000 50,000 100,000 products at the same time so you know that that's obviously going to be quite different than making say ten thousand dollar ten thousand rather um you know uh, products of a serum like if you're making a hundred thousand sheet masks the pricing is going to be a bit different so it really depends it depends on so many different factors uh but i thought that that was an interesting one like i couldn't even really give you a starting price to be honest it would totally depend on what you're putting in it the amount of technology that's going into it Uh, whether you're white labeling it, doing it like using a product that already exists or whether you are creating something from scratch that obviously costs a lot more in general because there's so much more work that needs to go into it. Uh, You know, even to uh, kickstart the process and, you know, get some samples back from a lab sometimes can cost hundreds of dollars. So, you know, it really is a case of how long is a piece of string. Uh, But I thought that was an interesting one. I thought you guys might have had uh similar i don't know thoughts uh maybe you've wondered before you know like can i make a brand with a thousand dollars like no you can't (laughs) uh do you need a million dollars probably not like i certainly didn't have a million dollars and i have my own brand so it is possible to do it for less than a million dollars but it definitely costs you more than a thousand and somewhere between there depending on what you're making uh which is such a useless answer very vague i'm sorry but it's just impossible to answer without knowing exactly what it is that you're making uh you a brand are you making a one product are you making a whole line are you doing a kim kardashian with nine i think it really depends all right over onto the style story website and we have a new product a couple of new products in fact that have just launched recently the first one is april b's nourishing defense 
hair oil. So you guys are really getting into your Korean hair care products at the moment. I've noticed a lot more people are asking about them. A lot more people want us to stock more products. So that is what we have gone out and done. We've got a whole new bunch of products from Innisfree, from April B, from Nine Less, which is the new brand that we just started stocking recently. Uh, who else? I feel like I'm definitely missing someone. Anyway, there's, there's a section of the website on it. If you are interested, go and check that out. But this oil is a really great one for damaged hair. It helps to build a protective coating on your head to give it that really nice and shiny look and just make the moisturization on your hair last longer. Uh, in terms of, obviously, it's got oil in the name. What oils are in it? Lavender, avocado, olive oil, macadamia seed oil, sweet almond oil, as well as soybean seed extracts. And they are often used in aromatic hair treatments, particularly for, uh, you know, to help your hair grow nice and strong. So lots of different great oils in there. Go and check that out if you are looking to help calm frizz or tangles or anything like that. This will be a good one. Prevent breakage, all of those kind of things. The other new product that we have, we've got a bunch of, uh, of uh, I Do Cares products that we have just started stocking. And again, that's because people have been asking for it. So one of the ones is their Glow Easy Lip Oil. So another oil product, this is full of antioxidants as well. But this oil actually does give you a little bit of color to your lips as well. So if you're looking for something that's nice and hydrating, but will give them that really glossy mirror-like shine, this is a really good one because you get the pop of gloss as well. So go and check that out if you're after the benefits of an oil with a little bit of uh, a color in it as well, because it has both of those things. It gives you really bright, shiny lips. Now, we also have had a new review, a new product review come through for April B's Propolis Collagen Eye Cream. And this was a five-star review. Our reviewer said, my absolute fave. I've bought this so many times. It's my fave product. I started with just putting it around my eyes and now I love it so much. I do my whole face and neck. It makes my skin feel so good and I like the smell. So thank you very much for sharing your review with us. Us. If you guys would like to leave yours, don't forget that when you do, you can collect points that you can redeem as cash towards your next purchase. Just make sure that you're signed into your rewards wallet so that you can redeem them before you check out with your next order. That's how it works. If you have any questions anytime, please just shoot through an email. One of us will pick it up and walk you through it. Uh, we get we get them from time to time. So don't feel you know like, oh gosh, I don't know what that means. I don't know what I'm doing. Just send us a quick email and we will jump on and sh uh, shoot you back a response and get you sorted out. All right. Now we've also had another podcast review and I hope I'm pronouncing this right. It's by Gu Jang Girl. And she said, best beauty podcast ever. I love this podcast. During 2020, I started to get really into beauty and the health of my skin. I particularly wanted to take the K-beauty approach towards skincare and makeup. You can imagine my reaction when I found this podcast. As a working professional in the beauty industry and a longtime resident of Seoul, Lauren is so 
so knowledgeable on all things K-beauty, beauty news, and Korean culture. You'll find little mention of glass skin on this podcast. Instead, Lauren covers topics such as Korean beauty treatments and procedures, celebrity skincare, toner trends, product releases, untapped skincare, and so much more. I highly recommend this podcast to anyone who is interested in beauty and even those who aren't. Lauren is great, and thanks to her, my skin is looking its best. Thank you so much. That is very kind of you. I'm so glad to hear that, of course. Uh, And if you haven't left your rating or review yet, just scroll through to your podcast app. You can do it there. Otherwise, you can do it on Style Stories Facebook page, on our Google Reviews page, anywhere you would like to leave it. We would love for you to do that. We would love to see it. I would love to read it out. Uh, All of the above. All right, now on to our last segment, which is, of course, the recommendation of the week. Uh, And what I wanted to share was actually an article that I came across in the Guardian newspaper. This sort of popped up on my feed. I thought it was a little bit interesting. I actually shared it on my Instagram stories uh, as well, uh, just because, you know, a lot of people that follow me are interested in all things K. And this was sort of going through lots of different K-themed things, K-drama, Korean film, food, K-pop, even video games. And essentially what they were talking about was the rise of Korea's soft power uh, and that, you know, what happened was that none of this was an accident. The fact that, you know, Korean pop culture is really trending at the moment was uh, sort of started on purpose. One of the former presidents of Korea, Kim Dae-jung, decided that he wanted the nation to rebrand. And in particular, apparently, he was really impressed by how much revenue the US and the UK brought in from things like films and musicals. And he used them as a benchmark for creating a pop culture industry in Korea, uh, which is, you know, kind of wild if you think about it. And, you know, so a lot of money was poured into Korean drama, film, all of those things. Obviously, K-pop has been around for a long time, but it didn't really gain global popularity until Psy came out with Gangnam Style. So there were a lot of Korean artists who were famous overseas, but overseas tended to be really niche groups in like the States uh, and than other parts of Asia. So if people were going to be famous, they would be famous in, for example, China or Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, things like that. They weren't necessarily famous in the States except for, you know, a really niche group of people that were into it. Uh, And Psy was the one that sort of made, like, you know, launched a bomb in the English-speaking world with Gangnam Style. I believe it is still the most popular uh, viewed video on YouTube. I mean, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it's one of the ones that like hit over a billion first. So that was what the article was talking about. And it was talking about the 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 sort of how the domino fell one industry after another, the rise of SM entertainment uh, and all of these kind of things. So I'll link to that in the show notes. I thought it was interesting. If you are 
into it, you probably will know some of this stuff. If you're not into all these other areas of K life, as it as it were, then uh, you might find this a bit interesting. But apparently one of the game changers was the internet in Korea and all of the different households having broadband. So Korea has, I'm pretty sure, one of the highest rates of cell phone use in the world, but also broadband access. Part of that is because it's such a small country. Um, Korea is the size of like Tasmania for any Aussies out there listening, which that was a statistic and a fact that blew my mind when I first heard it. Uh, Because I don't know about you, if you're an Aussie uh, and you know Tasmania, we, I have always thought of it as like a fairly small island off like the bigger island that is Australia, but no, it's the size of Korea. So when I heard that, I was like, whoa, mind officially blown. But there's obviously a lot of things that go along with being such a big country in such a small compact uh you know landscape it's all on top of each other and i think that that's why we get all these microcosms of culture and trends and things like that here is because everyone really does live on top of each other and can see what everyone else is doing but if you're interested in that go and check this article out i will link it in the show notes i'm going to wrap up here today but i am going to be back in your ears on thursday i have Uh, a bit of a deep dive that I hope you will find interesting on this growing trend of microbiome cosmetics, prebiotics, probiotics, postbiotics, all of the biotics. So tune in on Thursday if you're interested in that. In the meantime, I will see you on Style Story. 